Welcome back to the Food for Thought podcast. For most of 2023, this podcast has focused almost entirely on a single issue critical to the future of the food and beverage industry. We're talking about the workforce. We've talked to and learned from experts across all facets of the industry on topics ranging from why there is a labor shortage to how to mentor or nurture the talent you already have. On today's episode, we're talking with food and beverage recruiter Denise Klutzinski about specific tasks and ideas companies can undertake to ensure they find and keep the best employees. We kick off the episode talking about the perception problem food and beverage companies have among consumers and why that may be preventing future generations from considering careers in the ever-growing industry. Denise offers great ideas for how food and beverage companies can improve their public image, including how they can work with schools to explain and encourage jobs most snack-loving kids never knew existed. We talk about the importance of connecting with consumers, especially when it comes to your reputation, and how your company may be seen from the perspective of those job-searching younger generations. We then pivot to talking about the jobs and roles that Denise is constantly hiring for, as well as the skills most employers are looking for in their candidates. We also talk a lot about why companies are losing some of their most talented players and what they can do to fix that problem. We end the episode talking about what strategies and tactics manufacturers can employ to recruit and retain the best and the brightest in the industry. Enjoy the episode! Denise, welcome to the Food for Thought podcast. Let's kick things off to get to know a little bit more about you. Where are you coming uh, to us from and what role are you serving in the food and beverage industry? Yeah, so I am an executive recruiter. So clients hire us, my team and I on to fill some of their higher level manager level positions through the C-suite. And it could be all different roles within food manufacturing uh, and beverage manufacturing, and actually um, some just manufacturing companies in general based on referrals, et cetera, uh, that want or are looking for people that have a food and beverage background because that's who my network is. Food and beverage is a pretty big space, especially when it comes to jobs. What drew you to this specific industry as a recruiter? Yeah, so my background, I actually came from higher ed um, as a recruiter in the, you know, college university space. And um, when I moved away from that industry, I wanted to continue recruiting. Um, I actually taught even before that. Um, So I just wanted to be able to maximize all the different skill sets that I brought to the table. And I found the company that I work for now, Miller Resource Group. They have two specialties that they zone in on. One is industrial automation and the other is food and beverage manufacturing. So when I was When I first started, I found that the when I was looking at those two spaces, food is just something everybody can relate with. It's somebody, you know, regardless of what industry you came from or what your background is, everybody understands food. And to me, that was really attractive. That was exciting um, from an industry that had to deal with a lot of government regulations and all this other stuff. um, Food to me just was attractive. It felt safe but exciting. There's a ton of growth 
And there's a lot of ways that you can view food, right? So just because someone in a, you know, as you get in the industry, you learn more. But, you know, if people are buying branded this month, maybe next month they're dealing with private label. And to me, that whole world was really exciting. And that's really how I find, found it. So they kind of gave me a choice. The interesting, uh, interesting piece now is the automation and food are even much more integrated um, than ever before. So even though I'm food and beverage focused, um, I still, you know, have and, and interact with some of those other worlds as well. Labor and workforce issues are such a huge topic, especially in food production. I've talked with numerous people that have mentioned difficulties in finding and hiring candidates. From your perspective, why do food and beverage companies seem to have a difficult time filling these roles? So I absolutely agree and, and hear it all the time from clients as well as other groups that I present at. I actually just got back from Arizona. I was invited to speak at the Shelf Stable Processing Association, um, and they were talking about this topic as well. In fact, that was what I was speaking on. And all the leaders of this group that were attended, um, they're it continues to be a problem. One of the reasons that I believe uh, this industry struggles more than others is perception. As a uh, so as a woman, I am getting and am pretty involved in a lot of women in manufacturing groups. Um, women in meat, women in manufacturing. Um, you know, I have a group food executive women here in the Chicagoland area that I'm a part of. And when I'm talking to those groups. A common thread that I constantly hear is parents. <laughs> you know, how do your parents perceive this industry? And I think that's one of the major challenges that our industry is struggling with because we are not making a good enough case for the parents. They still view the food manufacturing space as kind of this old black and white pictures um, that they had as kids, um, or they're viewing it like these meat slaughterhouses of the 1800s, right? It's so different, yet the parents still don't get it. They don't realize that when you go into, if you've been into a food beverage manufacturing uh, manufacturing facility recently, they're phenomenal. They're extremely clean. They have incredible technology. They have amazing equipment. Um, and it's very sexy from the inside out. But yet, these families, when their kids are talking about roles, et cetera, they're not talking about food and they're not talking about manufacturing because it's just they're just unaware. So I think that's one of the major pieces uh, actually in my presentation that I gave recently um, of the 10 million plus open jobs that are there, 803, I think from the Bureau, uh, Bureau of Labor and Statistics, they identified that that was manufacturing. So 803,000 open jobs of 10 million is pretty significant. So it's definitely a problem. And I think perception and allowing people to better understand what's really going on is one way that we can really get more talent. So and then keeping them there by having really great ways to um, attract and keep your people there, talking to them about conversations. I've talked about like stay interviews, right? Instead of um, exit interviews, we're calling them stay interviews. I mean, just creative ways to not only get people in the door, but then keep them there um, once they're once they're available. Yeah, everyone I have talked to um, this podcast season and last has the constant has been talking about the perception of the food industry 
and that being one of the biggest hurdles. So to hear you say that as well, just further confirms, you know, food and beverage industry has work to do on its own outward perception. Believe it was a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago at this point, I had one guest who said that, you know, food manufacturing has a marketing problem of its own. (laughs) It just, it needs to come up with its own kind of better marketing of, hey, this is the industry. We, you want to be in this, but um, I can't agree with you more. Like at the associations of these groups, in my opinion, have a a huge opportunity where they can really create video marketing, social media that really pushes the idea that what is sexy about our industry. If you were to look at high school, so my background, my education is in education. I taught high schools and I did this for about three years before I got into the recruiting side of the world. And the top clubs right now are engineering clubs, robotics clubs, right? This is what kids are interested in, yet they're not necessarily connecting the dots with food and beverage manufacturing as being an industry that they can then evolve into. And I think this is a huge opportunity for us to be able to take advantage of as an industry, connect the dots, right? How many of our manufacturers, large food manufacturers are connecting themselves to those robotics clubs? They should, right? Like be a sponsor. You think that they, they'll take money? Like, <laughs> like, let's get involved in those things. Let's talk about, all right, let's have a day where they come into our facility and see what's going on behind the doors and invite their families. This is the trick. You can't just invite the kids. You have to invite the parents because the parents are the ones that are going to be, when they come home and say, hey, I'm going to go work for fill in the blank, the parents are going to give the reaction of, that's amazing. How exciting. Or have you thought about that? Maybe you shouldn't do that. And this is especially true for women. The whole, you know, they've got a bad reputation. Like women in industry has not been, thankfully our industry is changing. You're seeing a lot more women involved. But this is why I love going to those women in manufacturing events because you see across manufacturing, not just food specific, there's still work to be done. And as we make our facilities much more accepting and open and safe for women, right? And just uh, allow them to make them feel like they're a part of the group instead of an outsider. This is going to attract more and then they're going to attract their friends and it's going to become something that everybody talks about and wants and sees an opportunity to get involved in. There's so much more I could speak to you about (laughs) the women component and the that aspect of manufacturing but that's uh, that's content for a different episode um i want to pivot really quick to uh talking about filling roles so which roles or positions do you seem to be filling the most often and similarly which roles are you hearing less about or have fewer requisitions to fill so interesting enough since covid right when covid hit Um, Right after that, we found a lot more of our roles that we were being requested to assist with were more ops, quality, supply chain, right? I mean, that just makes sense. Um, Sales tended to be a role that they almost paused on or just removed altogether. And I think that's interesting. In my mind, that gives insight to what these manufacturing facilities are struggling with or dealing with. They 
have they have a lot of need, but they need to produce more. Right now, in my opinion, I'm starting to see a trend back to being asked to fill more sales roles. And to me, that means that this is that means that our industry is starting to become more efficient. The people that they've hired in these ops quality and, and supply chain roles are becoming are better, stronger, more efficient. Um, the, the industry as a whole is just opening up a little bit more. And therefore, the shift going back to that, let's get more sales and let's do more business with more companies is becoming more of a thing. So I think that that is an indicator that we are going to continue to grow because, as you know, the more people that we have in our sales roles, if they're good, that's going to equal more sales, more production is need to be had on the back end. Um, and so it just continues and adds on to the cycle. So it's kind of I see it being cyclical. Um, and the good news is for all veterans involved, if one is high, then the other one's low. It, but it does write, write itself after a while. Are there skill sets in demand now that weren't even on the horizon five years ago? Yeah. So I'm seeing a lot more requests. I think companies have always known the Six Sigma, uh, lean manufacturing, all that stuff is important. I'm seeing a lot more requests for it where companies are saying we don't even want to talk to individuals unless they've had specific uh, training and experience utilizing these systems. Uh, I think that that's a positive, right? So if you are in an ops role, if you're in a leadership role, to refine those skill sets so that you can talk to those in the interview, it's ringing. These are keywords that people are looking for, especially right now in this hiring market. Um, the other piece I'd see is we're seeing a lot across our organization on both sides is those those mechanics, um, those uh, PLC programmers, um, the individuals that are going to be able to fix and work on the machines. And this goes back to those attracting those high school students, right? You've got an aging population that continues to outpace our younger generations getting into that field. And these are skill sets that are very specific. And so we want to make sure that we're attracting more people in that space. Um, the people that know how to turn a wrench, um, as well as the people who can do some of the programming or at least troubleshooting of the programming because of our equipment is becoming much more sophisticated. The equipment and the automation that takes place, it's changing the who we're hiring for these facilities. So if you are somebody that can take on some of those roles, this is a fabulous time to reskill or to, to revisit some of that information. If you're somebody who loves to get behind the computer side of things, if you haven't thought about it already, learn how to program ELCs because <laughs> you're going to have opportunity. There's a lot of those open jobs and most companies across the board, whether it's on food manufacturers directly or even on my other side of the house, automation companies, they need people that can do that. So you spoke a little bit ago on the aging workforce or the, the workforce that's aging out and then also the younger, which... Leads me to this next question here. Are you noticing any generational differences with the companies that are hiring and those who you're placing in roles? I'm not going to necessarily say that it's specific to age um, and age groups. I think that's easy to say, oh, this group is this way. This group is this way. But I'm actually I'd like to kind of shift it and say that I think that there's just more of a focus on 
people are starting to reflect inward and expect the companies that they work for to pay attention to who they are and what they want. I actually, in my presentation that I did for the Shelf Stable group, I actually quoted, a, I was kind of going off the lens of this book, um, which I think is awesome. It's by Chip, um, Chip Heath uh, and Dan Heath. Chip and Dan Heath, it's called um, The Power of Moments, if you've ever read it. Well, it's a great reminder that we as people are not robot robots, right? While you might have goals for us, while you have all these things you want to have us obtain, if you aren't creating an environment for us that we feel valued, there's a problem. And, and this is true. People are quitting at alarming rates. I actually saw a LinkedIn statistic that was out there that was saying that this year, 2023, 63% of the population says in the U.S. says they plan to quit. So if that's true, you think we have a job problem now, <laughs> a hiring problem now, we're going to have an, a bigger job problem. I was talking to a friend of mine. She's been at the same company for 14 years. Phenomenal employee. If you met her, you'd understand why she's been at the same company for so long. Valuable person contributes way above and beyond, putting in hours left and right. And she just quit her job. She doesn't have another job open or another job lined up. She just quit. Why did she quit? Couple of reasons, right? It's never just one thing. But one of the big ones is on her team, there were multiple roles that never were refilled. The people were, they're open positions. So guess who carries the weight of that? She did. The manager, the leader. She had to pick up the, the the slack for that. She went to a meeting and in the meeting they said, oh, by the way, overtime is not approved. So the managers are just going to have to pick up the slack with that. Okay, so it's now two, right? In addition, and I thought this one was unique, she actually said that it turned her off that the company moved to a uh, unlimited PTO policy. She said that is a very employee-driven action, not uh, not person, like the employee focused. And I think that's interesting because most people would say or feel that maybe that's the flip. But what happens, and I see this a lot, and I have people comment about it when I talk to them about opportunities and new roles and why they want to look to leave. These open-ended, uncapped, uh, you can take it whenever you want it, people don't take it. They feel guilty asking for days. So they actually take less days. Right. And so these people are being overworked. Nobody's saying, hey, take a day off. Like, that's just not how it works. But when they had a specific amount of days that they knew that they either you use it or you lose it, they were much more likely to say, hey, I've got 10 days I'm going to lose if I don't use them. And so I'm taking some time right now. And that empowered them. Now that we've made it unlimited, it's basically behind the scenes for people who are hard workers or overworkers. Right. You just. We tend to be that way sometimes. They're actually putting themselves in a bad spot. Now, a company could argue, and I get it, a company could argue, well, we're telling you, you can take whatever days you need. People don't advocate for themselves enough. We need to advocate more for our people. And so the companies that are taking a people-focused approach, going back to the power of moments, creating moments, specific moments for their people where they showcase that they value their people, they appreciate what they're doing, 
these are the companies that are winning. I actually have one of the guys in my office. He actually has been requested a lot lately to put together compensation analysis across all the the like major players. Maybe it's their executive team or their their leadership team or whatever. Saying, hey, what are what is everybody making currently? What does the market say that they're worth? And what's the difference? Are we underpaying them or overpaying them? And I think this is a fabulous starting point to open the dialogue and companies to take action with data that says, hey, if we can pay you more, we're going to proactively call you in the office, Aaron, and say, hey, we're going to give you a raise because we recognize that you've been underpaid and we value you. Oh, like imagine how that feels, right? That's a moment. If you can't pay your people more, and I get it, you know, if you basically find out that you're underpaying all of your people, that's going to be a hard pill to chew. I can't afford. But let's be honest with our people because they know they're being underpaid and likely they're staying with you because they like you for other reasons. But having an honest conversation that says, hey, Aaron, we proactively had a third party come in and highlight our compensation and take a look at that. And we recognize that you are being underpaid. We want you to know we love you. We think that what you did on Project A and what you did on Project B is outstanding. And we want you to know how outstanding we think you are. Now, we don't have a budget right now put aside to give you an increase in pay. But what maybe we can work together. What are some things maybe you could see we could help you with? It's not monetary at this moment that would help you feel valued. What a conversation. If someone proactively came to me and said that to me, and I, first of all, I don't want to have to move my family, change jobs, pick out new daycare, figure out new hours. I mean, that's a big pain in the butt, right? But if my company's not valuing me, it's worth going through that pain. But if they say and they work with me and they figure out ways to show me that I'm valued, I'm much more likely to put up with things that maybe, you know, are not perfect because there's no guarantee in my new role that I'm going to be getting this perfect world. So I think companies need to just realize that your people aren't stupid. They know if they're being underpaid. Let's address it. Let's use data to back up our, our information. And then let's do something about it. And that's the trick. Do something about it. Don't pull the data and then do nothing with it. That doesn't help anybody. But if you do something with it and you're intentional and you meet with people and you treat them like adults, I honestly feel like you're going to not only attract better talent, but you're going to be able to retain the ones that, let's be honest, are the ones that are driving your business currently. Last question kind of circles back to something we talked about earlier about food and beverages perception problem when it comes to recruiting talent. So what tactics or strategies would you suggest food and beverage companies consider when trying to make their companies more attractive to potential hires? I know you talked about it a little bit more. Do you have any more tactics or strategies you would recommend? Yeah. So one thing our, our company, Miller Resource Group, is doing for a lot of our clients is we're having them fill out an attractiveness survey, right? Let's talk about and have an open conversation on what does your website look like? What are your industry? Like, what are you, is something that you're selling unique? Um, are you on a social media? Do you have a presence? Is your company attractive from the outside looking in? Because I'll tell you, Again, talking about this changing of people, the new people coming into your workforce 
are doing their homework and there's a lot more data and there's a lot more information for people. So allowing them a, a visibility to who your company is, what they value. People want to feel connected to what they're a part. They want to feel a part of something bigger than just themselves. So the more that you can make yourself and your company look attractive, your leadership showcasing that they're it, with the times that they are participating and they're complimenting their people publicly, right? There's an environment of fun. There's an environment of collaboration. There's a, right? There's a give back to community. All these things are part of that attractiveness feature. And I think that's a fabulous way, in addition to getting more involved in recruiting from as early as high school and, and below to get families involved, right? But I think that that attractiveness piece that's something absolutely every company should be taking a closer look, but you have to understand the problem in order for you to fix the problem. Well, Denise, you offered so much great information in this episode. I the the amount of head shaking and nodding of agreement and just appreciation of everything you've talked about. Um, so much. I I hope everyone listening to this episode takes action and takes your advice. Um, if they want to get a hold of you, say some uh, companies wanted to fill any positions or needed your counsel, how would be or what would be the best way to get a hold of you? Well, they can email me, right? So Denise C at MillerResource.com for one. I'm also online on LinkedIn and you can take a look there. You can take a look at my profile and some of the stuff that I do and the presence that I have. Um, and I would love to be a resource. So, well, Denise, thank you for joining me on today's Food for Thought podcast. everyone listening to the Food for Thought podcast today, thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about everywhere you can listen to a podcast. Be sure to tune in next time as we talk more about the stories behind the headlines of the food and beverage industry. Take care. Have a great day.